0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can rate it, review it, or share it with friends. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I see that so many of you are listening to the Daily Affirmations episodes, and I hope they continue to be tools that you can use for support, encouragement, and strengthening your daily meditation practice. You can find these by also clicking the link in my Instagram bio. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. Lately, I've been starting every morning with a cup of their Wild Iris Organic Coffee Blend. And if you're anything like me and you're particular about what you eat and drink and how it's sourced, Snake River Roasting Co. has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, Snake SnakeRiverRoastingCo.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. Thank you so much for all the listens and the feedback in the last few weeks. I really love hearing from you and learning about how the things that we talk about in this space show up in your life. I am not ashamed to say that it has been a challenging 18 months and so many areas of our lives that require our attention have risen to the surface. We can ignore them or we could run around in chaos playing emotional whack-a-mole or we can meet ourselves where we are. And if you're listening to this podcast today, something tells me that you're interested in exploring new perspectives or new coping methods. And I love that for us. And I say us because I am doing the same thing, I'm right there with you. And the title of today's episode is Our Relationship Status with Our Bodies It's Complicated. And I wanted to start this episode with a quote by Bo Taplin. Listen to me. Your body is not a temple. Temples can be destroyed and desecrated. Your body is a forest, thick canopies of maple trees and sweet-scented wildflowers sprouting in the underwood. You will grow back over and over, no matter how badly you are devastated. I've wanted to do an episode on this topic for a while now, and I've always hesitated because I felt the pressure and the limitations of the ways in which we're socially sanctioned to discuss our bodies. And in these discussions, it's almost as if the only time we are allowed to speak about our relationships with our bodies is if we're speaking of shame around our weight or anxiety about not being attractive enough. And if you have a body, I can assure you, while those topics are important, they hardly even come close to capturing the full scope of our complicated relationships with our bodies and how that relationship impacts our physical, mental, and emotional health. In so many ways, there's a powerful link between our physical bodies and our pain bodies. And if our body is a barrier to the world, And the world has been crashing up against our walls or our skin since the day we were born. And I think it has an impact on us. And just because the media or culture or society or our family and friends only focus on the correlation between our bodies and either the shame or pride of how we look doesn't really mean that the conversation ends there. That's just the starting point. So this episode goes out to every single person that I spoke with this week and last week who's in the midst of an adversarial relationship with their body and anyone out there who has a body and like me is just going through all sorts of things with that body and doesn't feel as if there's space to talk about all the thoughts and feelings and reactions that come up when we're in a complicated relationship with it. If you're one of the people I spoke with recently, I am with you and I hear you. And if you've been struggling in silence, but you happen to come across this episode, I want you to know that I see you and you are not alone. For me, I would say that the last two weeks were a powerful reminder of all the things left unsaid, all the ways that we can feel betrayed by our own bodies or even feel safe and supported in our bodies. And all the words and the stories that we choke back for fear of being the only one having that experience, you know, we have these fears of being different or weird or not our 100% best selves or really being seen in our imperfection. And I think there's so much to discuss on this topic, so I just want to dive right in. I was pretty self-conscious while I was writing my notes this week because I kept thinking about this topic and how I didn't want to alienate my male audience, which makes up about a third of you. I'm surprised by that. I love it, but I'm definitely surprised. Because the entire world will tell us that only women can have complicated relationships with their bodies, immediately discounting the experience of men, of children, of trans people or people with different levels of abilities. And I don't believe that. I believe that if you have a body, then you will most definitely have some sort of fluctuating relationship with it throughout your lifespan. And this can show up in so many different ways. It's the grief we feel when our body can no longer function the way it used to. The fear we feel when our body becomes ill. The anger we feel when our body fails us. The anxiety we feel when this failure happens over and over and over again. Or the shame we feel when our body just won't function the way we think it should or look the way the world tells us it should. If you have a body, at some point it's going to shift and change and it's not going to ask your permission. It's just going to happen. And so having these discussions is important because we have to build the tolerance within ourselves and the acceptance within ourselves to sort of navigate these moments. And if you've listened to this podcast before or you followed any of my daily journal prompts last year, you know that I always like to ask myself questions and drop into my own history to explore any topic. Because our reflex is always to point a finger and look at things outside of ourselves. But most of us are really out of touch with our own truths, even as the tapes play over and over and over again in our heads, we're really not in touch with them. So why not begin there? Some good questions to ask ourselves are, how was your body spoken about and treated in your family of origin while growing up? How were other people's bodies discussed in your family of origin? What was the relationship between your body and your self-worth, sense of safety, boundaries, and autonomy? What activities or experiences bring joy to your body? And what is the relationship between your sexuality, your sexual expression, and your body? And have you ever been ashamed of your body, frustrated with your body, or scared of what was going on in your body? So if you'd like, you can always pause and jot down a few notes about those questions, or you can always just come back to it at the end of the episode. But I feel as if those are the questions to begin exploring this topic within ourselves. And these questions obviously don't cover everything that we could explore in this topic. In fact, they barely scratched the surface. But has anyone talked about these things with you? Have you ever really thought about these things yourself? And if we never think about these things or talk about them, how can we make the transition from a complicated relationship with our bodies into one of acceptance and nurturing while holding space for all the various feelings that come up, including grief, shame, frustration, anxiety, anger, love, or even joy? And this has been a very present theme for so many of my friends the last few years, especially with regard to fertility, pregnancy, and miscarriages. As a society, we don't have a lot of helpful or supportive language around these topics for pregnant people or people who want to create families. And I've always wondered about that and why we refuse to cultivate tolerance and language around a topic that affects so many people. I'm sure that part of it is that it just makes us uncomfortable. It brings up feelings of vulnerability and being a little too human. And I think of the people in my life who have suffered multiple miscarriages or many fertility attempts, and how isolating that experience can be in a world where we talk a lot about the importance of transparency or authenticity, but what we really want is a perfect final product or the free reign to judge how someone goes about something. And it's one of those topics that is so deeply personal and so intertwined with our mental, physical, and emotional pain bodies, yet it is perceived as a fair game topic by the entire world. Let's just say that if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me when, where, why, and how I was going to have a baby, I would be a wealthy woman. And as a person who is on this journey myself, I can tell you that it has been one of the most isolating experiences of my entire life, even more so than trauma and PTSD. And the general feeling is that People feel more comfortable focusing on what you may be doing wrong in this process as a way to virtue test what you deserve, more than they feel comfortable holding space for the fact that this might just be life on life's terms, and it's not an easy or straightforward journey for everyone. An important question to ask is, how does this level of judgment impact how we feel about ourselves and our bodies as we go through this process? And are there steps we can take to increase support while minimizing criticism? I can tell you that for me, the absolute least helpful thing that someone can do is when they begin to hear about my own journey they immediately start running down the list of things that I could be doing different or better or options they just assume I haven't looked into. And I can tell you, I have looked into all of it and I don't need to hear that from anyone. But what would be really beneficial and helpful is to know that I am loved and supported and held up throughout this entire process, no matter what happens. Because my first instinct and maybe someone who's listening is going through the same thing. My first instinct is to attack my body and to be ashamed or to feel like a failure or that I've done something wrong. And so when people chime in with any kind of indication that I am doing something wrong or I haven't looked in this one area or done this one thing, it just reinforces those negative feelings and the disconnect I feel from my own body. And so I'm sharing that very personal thing, not because I want DMs from anyone telling me about fertility options, but because I want people out there who are going through it to know that whatever feelings that come up, the big uncomfortable feelings, you're not alone. You know, I say that over and over again on this podcast, you are not alone. And I firmly believe that if we're having common experiences, that there are common solutions and common coping methods that we can find. And we only find them when we share and we talk about them. So that's what I'm doing. And with that, we can segue into sexuality because it's a topic that we almost never associate with our relationship with our bodies. And right there, that should be a huge red flag. And I'll probably do an entire episode just focusing on sexuality. But for today's episode, my thought is, how does our experience with sexuality and sexual expression bring us in closer and a more joyful relationship with our bodies? And if sex is a source of stress related to our bodies, how can we support ourselves, cultivate tolerance and acceptance, and how can we communicate those feelings to our partners? And is there a way to co-create a more rewarding and comfortable sexual experience through connection and communication? My personal take on this to anyone listening today who experiences any kind of variation of disconnect or shame or discomfort with regard to their bodies and sex is that just based on my own experience as someone who has dated for 25 plus years is that every single person I've ever been involved with has had some feelings of shame, insecurity, self-loathing, or even deep wounding around their bodies and sex. And when these people were willing to communicate it or let their guard down or drop the defense mechanisms, they were brought into deeper alignment and comfort with their bodies and sexuality. And that had a direct impact on the relationship. And if you can't communicate your shame or your insecurities or discomfort or concerns with your sexual partner, then that too is a big red flag. Because you deserve that kind of space and reciprocation in those types of relationships, whether they're casual or they're long-term monogamous relationships. Communication is pretty important. Safety is pretty important. So I'm just bringing that up because I don't know that that has been communicated to enough of us. It definitely wasn't part of my sex education, so I always try to sprinkle it in when I'm talking about it. And, you know, I'm bringing up this topic and I'm thinking about any of the men who are listening, and I wonder, you know, who was having the conversations with you about feeling safe and secure and confident? And connected to your body, you know, where was that discussion or did the discussion sound more like, you know, conquests and sexual prowess and being dominant, you know, but where was the discussion around feeling connected to your body and trusting your body and feeling safe in your body? And obviously that's a question that can come up for anyone listening but I also thought it was important to highlight groups that are generally discounted from this conversation because it is important. Our bodies have been highlighted all throughout this pandemic in some pretty uncomfortable ways. I've heard so much talk about how everyone gained COVID weight and the extreme polarities of either loving it or people being deeply ashamed for it. There is so much media and discussion around it, Instead of focusing on the fact that our body safely carried us through a pandemic and if we're alive today, you know, we had our lives flipped upside down and we still survived it. I'm not hearing much conversation about this extended experience of fear moving through our body so consistently and what that does to us over time. Because I feel that the message is, oh, just suck it up and just deal with it, not Pay attention to your nervous system, and here are some tools with how to deal with it. And that leads me into talking about the impact of trauma on our bodies. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And he said, Traumatized people chronically feel unsafe in their bodies. The past is alive in the form of gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs. And in an attempt to control these processes, they often become expert at ignoring their gut feelings and in numbing awareness of what is played out inside. They learn to hide from themselves. I've spoken in a general way about my own experience with life altering trauma and the impact of complex post-traumatic stress disorder on my life. And that aligns perfectly with this topic because my body healed pretty quickly after I was assaulted. But my relationship to my body was forever changed. I am by no means attempting to speak for all trauma survivors. I'm just tapping into my own experience and what that felt like for me at the time and what it feels like for me today. During my actual experience of being assaulted, I dissociated. And you'll hear that from many people who have survived traumatic experiences. And the best way that I can describe it is that my spirit or energy or life force, whatever you want to call it, instantly left my body. And I've described it almost like two pieces of Velcro being separated. It was actually shocking when it happened. And this is a response that helps to preserve us during a traumatic experience because we're experiencing too much fear and anxiety and stimulation to function. So for me, it felt as if I was standing next to myself watching everything happen to me. Now, how does that play into my experience and relationship with my body over the last 20 years? Let's just say I had a very difficult time getting back into my body. That Velcro never quite came back together in perfect alignment. And although it's gotten so much better over the years with a lot of work and a lot of love and nurturing, for a long time, it was very challenging to feel as if my body, my mind, and my spirit were one. And I personally experienced so much confusion and frustration. And self loathing about this because I actually lived, right? I survived that traumatic experience and my body had healed. So, why couldn't I just make the connection? Well, one, there's no real space to talk about what happened. There was no space for me. I know for a lot of survivors, they say the same thing that the lack of ability to process what happened was almost as traumatic as the actual experience. And I've mentioned that on this podcast before. It's not just the trauma that impacts us. It's the way we experience it. If something terrifying and traumatic happens to you and you have no one to talk about it with or no space to process it and integrate the experience, it can feel as if it becomes almost cemented inside of you. And it's this weight that you carry that also blocks you from feelings and experiences. And two, when we have traumatic experiences that involve our bodies, whether that's physical violence, sexual assault, or even an illness or a cancer diagnosis or surgery or treatment, we can feel a bit shamed for having survived something and still having uncomfortable feelings about it. And I know that anytime I try to talk about my experience, people would interrupt me and say things like, well, you lived. He didn't actually kill you. So it couldn't have been that bad. And I've also facilitated multiple cancer support groups specifically for people in the post-treatment stage. And that's generally people who are less than three years post-treatment. And whenever I would talk about how powerful and important these specific support groups were, the post-treatment groups, I would always be met with the same questions. How could someone need a support group after they survived cancer? Why aren't they just happy to be alive? You know, insert deep sigh here, (laughs) you know, like um, there's so much to unpack in just that statement alone. But without going too deep into it, I'll just circle back to the fact that even when a stimulus ends, it's how we experience it that is traumatic. For a person with cancer who has spent two or three years being diagnosed or undergoing treatment, having surgeries and then more treatment, and worrying if they're going to die every single step of the way, and fearing that their body may never feel or function the way it did it doesn't just suddenly stop when the doctor says there is no longer any evidence of cancer in your body. For many people, the adrenaline of trying to survive the ordeal wears off. And the feelings that were compartmentalized along the way come flooding in because you're no longer in fight or flight and you can finally begin processing them. And My third thought about this is that No one ever talks about these things, and so there's no language around it or space for connection. There's no room to be vulnerable when we're worried about making someone else uncomfortable by sharing our truths. You know, there's this great quote by Tara Brock, and she says, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the nurtured. And I think about that so much and the impact it has on our bodies and how we process these experiences that we all go through. Part of my complicated relationship with my body after that assault was a realization of just how fragile or vulnerable my body is. Just how easy it would be for someone, anyone to harm me and how I did not feel safe or connected to my own body. I would look in the mirror and just not recognize myself, or I would be at work typing something and look down at my hands and my arms and not feel as if they were a part of my body. So, what helped me to feel connected and integrated with my body despite this deeply complicated relationship that I was forced into? And that makes me think of another quote from Bessel van der Kolk. He said, As I often tell my students, the two most important phrases in therapy, as in yoga, are notice that and what happens next. And once you start approaching your body with curiosity rather than with fear, everything shifts. So what are some practices that support our nervous systems and assist with connectedness and security in our bodies? For me, mirroring is a practice that I found and still helps me to feel connected and in acceptance of my body. I actually spoke about it in my previous episode where we explored vulnerability and building tolerance. And mirror work is so very simple. You just sit cross-legged in front of a mirror, preferably a full body mirror, and stare into your own reflection. And it's almost like looking into one of those optical illusion posters in the mall. If anyone remembers those, like, oh, you stare at all these dots and then you see a sailboat. So you focus on yourself without really focusing on yourself. And with each breath, you release and relax your body. And you kind of just drop into your gaze. And we do this practice because it opens us up and increases our tolerance around seeing ourselves, recognizing our bodies, and being present with ourselves and with other people. And one thing many of us don't realize is how disconnected our bodies are from touch. And in early life, touch is basically crucial for building healthy relationships and bonding. And I believe that being disconnected from our bodies and from touch was definitely an issue pre-2020, but the separation and the isolation of this pandemic has profoundly impacted people's experience with something called touch starvation. And touch starvation is a condition that happens when you don't get as much physical touch as you're used to or that you need or you just don't get any at all. And you crave contact, but you can't interact with others for some reason. So 2020 and being socially distanced and isolated was definitely a reason. And it's also known as either touch deprivation or skin hunger. So you can look up all of those terms if you want to research more about it. And the feelings of loneliness and isolation that come up with touch starvation, it can definitely bring up feelings of stress and anxiety and depression. And there was even a 2017 study that focused on how affectionate touch promotes psychological well-being. So this is something that's getting researched. It's not just you know me rambling about it on a podcast. You can definitely look into it. But it's pretty much vital, that skin-to-skin contact with other people for mental and emotional health, but also physical health and feeling connected in our bodies. There have even been other studies about how this affects our immune system. So it's pretty important to develop tools and practices that can help us navigate touch starvation. And here are a list of 10 that are worth a try that I've been doing this entire pandemic. So maybe it would work for you. Um, The first one, either hugging pillows or sleeping with pillows on top of our body which to the few people who've ever slept next to me know that I do that and it looks weird, but it actually is very grounding and helps me to kind of notice where my body ends and where something else begins, which is necessary for me as a trauma survivor to be able to ground my energy and relax. Number two, Petting animals. I feel like that's part of the reason why everyone went out and either adopted or fostered animals during this pandemic is because it really does help with the isolation and the touch starvation. Heated or weighted blankets are another one. It's a great way to, again, recognize where your body ends and something else begins. And the weighted blankets can be very grounding. Uh, The fourth one is acupressure. And you can take some courses online to learn more about acupressure and how that can support your nervous system, your immune system, and your body. The fifth one is reflexology. Again, something that you can look into online and maybe take some courses and learn about it or even go to a reflexologist and have a session And the next one is emotional freedom technique or EFT or tapping. It's referred to as all of those. You can either take a course and learn how to do it or do the guided meditations to learn how to do it as well. Yin yoga is something I talk about on this podcast a lot because it's definitely part of my yoga practice. All the movements are very slow and deep and they take a long time, usually up to even four minutes per posture. And in in yoga, you're not focusing on engaging the muscles. You're focusing on the connective tissue. And it's just a very grounding practice. I'm also a huge advocate of consistent warm baths and making it as soothing as possible with either bath salts or bath oils or even making bath teas with herbs and flowers. And just making this an experience where your body can feel safe, supported, relaxed, grounded. Massages are the obvious one. I know that that's something that we couldn't really do during this pandemic, and I'm sure options are opening up now, and I'm going to touch on it more in uh, the next thing I talk about, but massage is key, whether that's self-massage or having someone else massage you. And the final one, which sounds a bit harsh, but I do it all the time and I actually love it, is dry brushing. And dry brushing is something I usually do before I get in the shower, and I start at my feet, and I work my way all up the body with a dry brush, and it just makes me feel safe and strong and secure, and I know it also supports our lymphatic system as well. So I would definitely look into that. Now, years ago, when I lived in LA, my best friend Mia and I developed a women's sexual health workshop at the Cancer Support Center where I worked. And I remember that initially, everyone made fun of literally everyone made fun of me when I posted about this. People were actually pretty relentless about it. And maybe I'm naive, but I was a little surprised because it's not so foreign to me. It seemed like something everyone should talk about. Um, but people would see the poster and they would blush and they would crack some kind of a joke and my coworkers told me that no one would show up. And other people who were deeply obtuse asked me how women's sexual health has anything to do with cancer. And our position was that everyone attending has had their bodies basically manhandled over the last few years in order to survive cancer and cancer treatments. And that as a group we could explore ways to bring the body into relaxation and optimal joy and deeper awareness by cultivating balanced and empowering sexual energy. It probably goes without saying, but I'll say it. It was one of the most well-attended workshops in the 15-year history of the organization. Apparently, people wanted to learn more about this and they didn't feel as if there was enough information or discussion about it or that they're even allowed to talk about it. And one of the topics we explored was self-massage, whether that was through an Ayurvedic practice like Abhyanga or through self-stimulation and masturbation. So let's talk about masturbation and the connection between our bodies, our nervous system, and our sexual energy. And I understand that whether because of culture or religion or just personal feelings, Some people can hear that word and immediately recoil or think it's bad or wrong or weird. It's heavily stigmatized. There's so much shame, even to this day, about this topic. And I've led enough support groups and workshops to have heard it all. (laughs) So I am not here to argue with anyone about it. But I am here to encourage all of us to look at things with a different perspective. So why or how does masturbation have a positive effect on our relationship with our bodies? Now there's absolutely no science behind my personal opinion on this topic, but I firmly believe that it is important to understand, trust, and enjoy our bodies if we are ever going to do that with another person. It can also be a powerful way to build sexual confidence. And for some people, it's really empowering to know exactly what you like and how to be able to communicate that with a partner. And people masturbate for different reasons. It helps them relax. They want to understand their body better. They're releasing sexual tension. Their partner isn't around. Their partner is around. (laughs) Who knows? Um, And at the end of the day, most people do it just because it feels good. And as I've mentioned, there's a lot of stigma around it. Some people think that masturbation is only something that you can do when you don't have a sex partner. But let's be clear, both single people and people in relationships all masturbate. It's a great way to get to know your body. It's absolutely healthy. There are a ton of myths out there that are meant to scare us into thinking that masturbation is wrong or weird or creepy or bad. When the truth is that it's totally safe and it can only help to make you feel comfortable in your body and feel connected to your sexuality. And there's nothing wrong with that, no matter what the world tells us, no matter how much shame is attached to that. You are allowed to enjoy sex and you are allowed to learn what gives you pleasure. And you're also allowed to bring that into your relationship if you choose to. Another practice that I mentioned that I feel is so beneficial is Abhayanga. And that is a form of an Ayurvedic practice that involves a full body self-massage with warm oil. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? And it has so many benefits. It creates a gentle barrier against the outside world. It keeps your skin soft and supple. But it also has a detoxing effect by loosening and pulling the toxins and heavy metals away from the tissues and helping to eliminate them from the body. So if you're feeling particularly disconnected or not in right relationship with your body, this is a beautiful practice to begin doing in the mornings. When you think about how do we start our days? Most of us, just like as soon as we open our eyes, we're checking our phone and checking social media and taking in all the messages of who we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. So now just pause and think, what would it be like? If I began my day when I was feeling really disconnected from my body with a full body massage with warm oil, that sounds amazing. (laughs) So in this practice, we usually begin from the top of the head and massage the scalp, the face, neck, chest, arms, just moving all the way down. And I would encourage you to leave this on for at least 20 minutes. And instead of jumping in the shower to scrub it off, just like patting yourself down with a towel. It honestly feels so good. And I promise you're going to love it. I really encourage you to try it. Even if you're not feeling disconnected from your body. Like why not give this a try? And I've always heard that even if you can't do the full body Focusing on some important areas can be a beautiful practice to start your day, so maybe focusing on the soles of your feet, behind your ears, the crown of your head, and your heart area, and just having a gentle practice with yourself of checking in with your body and nurturing yourself a little bit before you walk out the door. There's so much more to explore on this topic, and I know I touched on a few areas today, but maybe I can go deeper into each of the topics in future episodes. And if you are feeling that you're not in right relationship with your body, you not feeling connected, I created this episode because I don't know if there's a way back to that, but I know that there's a way forward and that there are tools out there that can help us to feel more grounded and supported and nurtured and connected. And, you know, we need to start talking about that. And if you have any questions or thoughts, please always feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. I'm happy to create some supportive materials on what I'm sharing here. And what I'm sharing is by no means the final word. Maybe it's just a doorway for some of us to walk through as we explore this topic. And if you're interested in doing some of this work, I'm actually going to suggest that you check out my daily I Am Affirmations. It's a powerful guided meditation for dropping into your body and building love and acceptance from within. And you can do that while doing the mirroring work that I mentioned. And you can find it at the link in my Instagram bio or on any podcast listening platform. It's listed between episodes two and three on love letters and mixtapes. And before I share my love letter for the week, I wanted to read a short poem by James Wright that beautifully captures our complex and layered relationships with our bodies. It's titled The Jewel. There is this cave in the air behind my body that nobody is going to touch. A cloister, a silence, closing around a blossom of fire. When I stand upright in the wind, my bones turn to dark emeralds. The name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes. And the inspiration for that was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. And if I was going to write a love letter to my younger self about our complicated relationships with our bodies, it would probably go something like this We have never been able to bully our bodies into submission, out of sickness, or into perfection. But we have been able to show our bodies consistent loving kindness, we have nourished them and been gentle with them through really challenging moments. And when we stop yelling at our bodies for failing us or society's expectations of us, we've been able to listen to its messages, which, while difficult at times, are always for our highest good. There's a lesson there, even and especially when we don't want to learn it. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist in my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at love letters and mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.